Good morning. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, this is going to be my first time both speaking and being in the audience, and that's that's going to be a little strange. Um, but in reality, I can't be in two places at once. But I know that God can, and I also know that He exists outside of time. So even though I'm recording this on a Friday night, I'm fully confident that as I pray for the Lord to prepare your hearts to receive the message on Sunday, that to God, he will answer it no different than if I was praying on Sunday. So with that, would you please join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, how good it is to come together uh, as your children under your care. And Lord, as we uh, study your word, we pray that your spirit would teach us. Lord, we pray that as we look into the friendship of uh, David and Jonathan, that we would learn uh, about how we can be a family of believers uh, that exist in a closer friendship with each other and a closer friendship with you. Lord, we pray that uh, by doing this, we would just be fulfilling your will and obeying your commands, and that in so doing, we would bring you glory and honor. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this is the third week of our eight-week series, Looking at the Life of King David. Now, the first week, Paul looked at David as a man after God's own heart. He explored how David was complicated, how he was far from perfect. And in fact, in many ways, he was deeply flawed. However, he sought God with his whole heart. He desired what God desired. And when he failed, he was sorry and he confessed. Last week, Robert discussed radical confidence in God's power and how David drew his confidence from the Lord and not his circumstances. And I think both of those lessons are going to come into play as we look at the friendship between David and Jonathan today. So when the name David is mentioned, the first thing that usually comes to mind is what? Of course, David and Goliath. Even in secular circles, you can make a reference to David and Goliath, and everyone will know what you mean. Second is probably David and Bathsheba. And on any given day, I would guess that in third and fourth place, you sort of have a tie between Absalom's rebellion and the friendship that existed between David and Jonathan. So what is it about their friendship? that it makes it onto the same list as these other major events that shaped the course of the kingdom and led up to, in many ways, the arrival of Christ. When we look at the Bible, I don't know of any other friendship that receives so much attention. Now, as we think about this, we know that David had many friends. The Bible is full of accounts of men supporting him and even putting their lives on the line for him, being willing to die for him, However, only with Jonathan do we see extensive detail and attention given to that friendship that underpins those acts of devotion. Now, as with all things in the Bible, this detailed accounting of their friendship is not there for our entertainment, but for our edification. And so we would do well to take note. Now, let's look at some aspects of this extraordinary friendship. In the Bible, it's primarily found in 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 20. And much of the story consists of Jonathan helping David avoid assassination by Saul. Some key events we tend to focus on are Jonathan giving David his most prized possessions and Jonathan intervening to save David's life 
or David, Jonathan warning David that Saul is trying to kill him. And then of course there's the famous scene where they work out a code to use archery practice to send messages. Now within these events, we can see the underlying traits that drive that relationship. Now, when you get assigned a topic to preach, usually your first instinct is to go, how can I possibly speak on 40 minutes for that? By the time you're ready to preach, you're making painful decisions about what to cut out. So this is sort of like in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, where they're going through the hall of faith and they talk about the early heroes of faith in detail. And then the author finally says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. And so while we can look at many aspects of biblical friendship, such as why we need friends, what friends do for each other, how friends can lift each other up, how they can spur each other on towards good deeds, how a cord of three strands is not easily broken, how they can teach us, and so on and so forth. Today, as we look at the friendship between David and Jonathan, I would like to do so in the context of our theme for this morning, which is that a true friendship is based on godly character, not worldly characteristics. Now, during the time of their friendship, there was supposed to be a relationship between David and Jonathan, but that relationship was supposed to be one of intense rivalry and hatred. To see this, let's roll back to the beginning. First of all, Jonathan was the son of the king in a society where status counted and so did birth order. He would not have ordinarily associated with the eighth son of a shepherd from a small town. And even within his own family, David was sort of the leftovers. When Samuel wanted to meet Jesse's sons, David was almost an afterthought. After the first seven sons are reviewed, Samuel asks, do you have any more sons? And it's sort of like, oh yeah, David, he's out there with the sheep. And I guess now that we've run out of other sons, we can give him a try. Or how about when David was bringing supplies to his brothers, what did they say to him? First Samuel, chapter 17, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? I mean, this is just a classic exchange between an older sibling and the annoying little brother who's tagging along where he's not wanted. David says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? However, from this obscurity, David came out of nowhere, bursting onto the scene and becomes an instant hero for slaying Goliath. Even though they had met before, after David slays Goliath, Saul asked, who is this? And no one really knew. Yet right after this event, David and Jonathan become fast friends. Now following that, David prevails in a series of military campaigns. And so maybe because of killing Goliath and his military success, he would have come into the same circles as Jonathan. And perhaps Jonathan would have accepted him as some sort of outsider, someone who had to be invited to the party, but didn't really belong there. But the two of them becoming best friends, that would, would have been unlikely. However, there was one other small detail 
that should have further impacted their friendship. Based on politics, David and Jonathan should never have been friends. We see what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And then skipping ahead a bit, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. You see, David was anointed king in place of Saul. And by extension, Jonathan, who was next in line, suddenly found himself out of the running. Now we can see in our own democracy, which is known for its peaceful transfer of power, how bitter the race for office of presidency can be. But even the presidency holds nothing like the power of being a king. The struggle for the position of king in David's time was far more intense and brutal than politics of today, if you can imagine that. And murder was often the chosen method to settle the issue. Saul got it. Look at what he says to Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 31, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Not only did Samuel anoint David, the people did in their own way. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 18, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. That's a nice song, but what they're really saying is, hey Saul, you're lucky you're king for life, because if we could elect a king, it would be David in a landslide. And if it was up to us, you can forget about Jonathan taking your place when you're gone. We want to put the house of Saul in the street, and we want to bring the house of David in. Now, we usually look down on Saul for his response to this song. But he was right. For a king, this song was a big problem. Yeah, Saul got it, and he acted accordingly by the world standards. He hated David. David, the one who had calmed his troubled soul by playing the harp. David, the one who had brought him victory by slaying Goliath. David, the one who had rescued the kingdom. The one who won his military battles. And what did Saul want? He wanted only to kill him. And why? Because David was a threat to his rule. Now, Jonathan had just as much to lose as Saul, if not more. Saul at least had a stint at being king. Jonathan would get nothing. And in a typical scenario, when David took over, Jonathan would be eliminated to get rid of the threat. So what made the difference? How did these two become the very definition of friendship? Much of the answer lies in the first mention of David and Jonathan together. 1 Samuel chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Now what I want to focus in on here 
is that they were one in spirit. Now the Bible doesn't say that they shared common interests. It wasn't like they discovered they both liked racing chariots or that they had a common interest in music or athletics, but that they were one in spirit. And so what was that spirit that they were united under? We know David's spirit was focused on the Lord and that that was his defining characteristic, that he was a man after God's own heart. But what about Jonathan? Well, we usually focus on the overall story of their friendship. Things like the gifts Jonathan gave to David or the secret message via archery practice. However, if we look at the details, we will see that for David and Jonathan, the Lord was the focus of their relationship. So for example, after David wins a string of military victories, Saul decides he has to do away with them, and he instructs his men, including Jonathan, to kill David. Instead, Jonathan warns David and then intercedes with Saul on his behalf. 1 Samuel 19. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And what we see here is that Jonathan attributes the success to the Lord. Even though he's in the process of trying to build up David in his father's eyes, he keeps credit for the victory where it belongs, and that's with the Lord. He doesn't say, Father, you need such a great warrior like David on your staff. You need someone with his capabilities. Instead, he focuses on how God is using David. And this is exactly the same thing that David did when he was discussing his victory over the lion and the bear in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it's the same thing he did after he defeated Goliath. Credit for the victory was attributed to the Lord. Now moving along in our story of David and Jonathan, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 20 that Saul is again trying to kill David, and Jonathan is again warning him. And look at how he answers David. 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 12. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan swears by the Lord, and he puts himself on notice with the Lord, saying, May the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. Now this is all well and good, but the Bible records a number of such oaths made rashly and without sincerity. But then we look at what he says next at the end of verse 13. May the Lord be with you 
as he has been with my father. And then again at the end of verse 15, when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth, Jonathan has fully subjected himself to God's will. He knows he will not be king. He's not fully had any hope for that. He has put himself aside and he has invested fully in God's will. Thus, he can look forward to David's success. Think about how truly remarkable that is. One of the things we tend to resent most is when someone gets the reward we thought we deserved. But here, Jonathan looks forward to the place he and his family will have under David's rule. Jealousy kills the friendship, but selfless devotion to the Lord's will builds it up because you can be truly happy for the success of your friends. Now, David does the same thing. Twice he held Saul's life in his hands, and twice he refused to strike down the Lord's anointed one, even though doing so would signal his ascent to the throne. And when he received word of Saul's death, rather than be grateful to the man who claimed to have struck down his enemy, he had that man executed because he killed the Lord's anointed one. When it came to Jonathan, he was the same way. By the time he met Jonathan, he had already been anointed king in place of Saul. As surely as the Lord lives, David was as good as king already. He could have looked down on Saul and Jonathan and taken the first opportunity he had to seize power. But what does he do? Twice he refuses to accelerate the process by killing Paul, Saul when he has the opportunity. And twice he turns down the opportunity to become the king's son-in-law because he considers the honor too great. And in 1 Samuel 20, verse 41, he greets Jonathan by bowing down to him three times, a humble show of respect for the prince of Israel. Now, Jonathan, having let go of his prospect of being king, only asks that David be gracious to his family. And we know that David makes good on this promise and does so intentionally and deliberately. We can see that in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where he seeks out the descendants of Saul to show kindness to. By rights, he should be looking for Saul's descendants to kill them so he can eliminate a potential threat to his throne. We've seen that in other places in the Bible, that that's what rulers have done when they took over. But instead, for the sake of Jonathan, he restores Mephibosheth to his property and provides for him. So rather than resenting David, Jonathan asks for kindness, and not just any kindness. He references the Lord's kindness, because again, like David, he had a relationship with the Lord. And like David, he knew that if he wanted to display a characteristic in its purest form, you would take your example from the Lord. And Jonathan, knowing David's heart, knew that they shared the same definition of this kindness, and that is kindness like the Lord's kindness. With these two, it was always about how they were on the same page in the Lord. The more we look at these two, we can see that their faith in the Lord is a point in which they were just lockstep together on, and it was the foundation of their friendship. Now, we could go on and on, but I want to give you one more example of the two of them being in the spirit together under the Lord. When Jonathan went to fight the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 14, he determined to follow the Lord's will 
and they waited for a sign from the Lord. In this case, it was to let the Philistines select their own place of defeat. Remember, he went into the valley, the canyon, and he said, if they say, wait till we come down, we'll wait till they come down. If they say, come up, we'll go up and fight them. And he wound up having to go the harder route. He had to climb up a cliff and then fight the Philistines. And he was still granted victory. In the same way, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is again fighting the Philistines, who apparently don't know when to give up. And he inquires of the Lord if he should attack. And he follows the Lord's command, once attacking head-on, and the second time circling around and waiting for the Lord to go ahead of him. Neither of these two would act without consulting the Lord and waiting for an answer. Now, if you've ever been on the same page as someone, it's just, it's a really exciting thing. I recall working on a project with a coworker, and we just, we had the exact same vision for this project. And working together with him was just a load of fun because everything was just clicking and moving exactly the way we wanted it to because we were doing the exact same thing. Recently, I also read an article in the Mission Magazine. It was about a trip uh, that Nate Bramson took with Micah Tuttle. And uh, having heard both of them speak, you can tell that these are men both of great passion. And reading the article about what they were like together is just how you would imagine it would be. It was like flint and steel making fire. Uh, they just talked about how for a week they served and they preached until their voices gave out. And then they just kept going. They were exactly on the same page about ministry. And I imagine that David and Jonathan were the same way, just rejoicing with how they were one in spirit under the Lord. You can think about maybe the two of them getting ready for battle. This is in the Bible, but hypothetically, you know, David would say first, what should we do? We should inquire of the Lord. And Jonathan says, yeah, right on, exactly. And once we hear from the Lord, we go out and we do what he tells us. And when we return, we'll return victorious and we'll celebrate the victory by giving the glory to the Lord. And David says, you know it. Just watching the two of them being one in spirit under the Lord. And what we see here is just a continuous interaction between the two. The action is the oneness they have in the Lord and the character that that built. Both David and Jonathan loved the Lord unwaveringly in their hearts and followed him with their actions. The reaction to that was a friendship built on being one in the spirit and how they lived out that oneness regardless of the circumstances around them. So again, they were on the same page, just like Robert talked about last week. They didn't let the circumstances dictate the way they reacted. Now, I'd be remiss if I did not mention briefly some other elements of their friendship that resulted from them being one in spirit. The first is that they loved one another as they loved themselves. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. This is in fulfillment of the Old Testament command in Leviticus chapter 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And this is the same command that was affirmed by Christ, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, like all commands, it only means something if you live it out 
the way that David and Jonathan did. It speaks to the depth of their love, but as always, it still relates to their fellowship in the Lord. The second additional point is that their friendship was based on a covenant. So we can see that it was a promise, not an emotion. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. It was a promise, one that carried even beyond the depth, the death of Jonathan. It was not based on feeling or what have you done for me lately. It was a promise in the Lord. And like the Lord's promise, it transcended the current circumstances and it endured. Now, no one makes and keeps a promise like the Lord. So if you want to make and keep a promise, you need to follow the Lord's example in this. So where does this leave us? What's the application? When viewed from an earthly perspective, I can't imagine finding any candidate for friendship as unlikely as David and Jonathan were. Two people that should have been locked in a struggle to the death are the model of true friendship. So what does that mean for us? It means that when it comes to a brother or sister in the Lord, the words, I just can't be friends with them, should never cross our lips. And more importantly, those words should never cross our hearts. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to have a David and Jonathan-like friendship with every Christian. Friendship takes an investment. Even the Lord had his inner circle, the disciples, Mary and Martha and some others. And then out of those, he invested even more heavily in Peter, James, and John. But it goes even beyond this. Recall how far apart David and Jonathan should have been and how they should have hated each other. Remember that I mentioned there was no pair of more unlikely friends than David and Jonathan? Well, that's not exactly true. There is someone in the Lord who should be farther from me than David should have been from Jonathan, and that is the Lord himself. By every right, he should hate me. By every right, he should separate himself from me. My sin made me his enemy. He could honestly say, death is too good of a punishment for me. He could say, you deserve to be eternally separated from me and to feel the absolute torment of being cast out of the presence of God. And he would be right and just if he did so. But instead, as he said to uh, the paralytic in Luke chapter 5, friend, your sins are forgiven. And just like the, the prodigal son, who longed only to be called his servant, knowing that that was more than he deserved. In John 15, 15, he says to us, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And lastly, he talks about the extent of that friendship. In John 15, 13, very famous verse, he says, Greater love hath no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And we can see that even beyond friends, he goes farther. He also calls us his children. He loved us all the way to the cross, so that we, his enemies, could be called his friends, and more importantly, his children. 
To be the Lord's friend is more than we could possibly have hoped for, but it's not all he gives us. He doesn't just call us friends, he makes us sons and heirs. And with such a great love shown to us, how could we not follow his command in John 15, 34? A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Christ gave us the ultimate example, and we're called to follow that. And this is a command, it's not a request. This is what the Lord requires of us. The only question is, will we hold on to what we want like Saul did, or will we love unconditionally like David and Jonathan loved? Will we love one another like the Lord loved us?